This was a, a good week at the University of Houston. As you know, a piece of the World Trade Towers actually rests at the University of Houston, right in front of the Student Center. And it's a place as you walk by it and you see that twisted steel uh, in the memorial that's always there to what happened. It's an interesting thing being on an international campus with people who have no real connection to the United States, uh, with students who don't even remember what the world looked like before 9-11. Do you realize that? The kids that we see in college right now, they see 9-11 and they have no more reaction to it than they do to say Pearl Harbor or Bunker Hill. Other things that in the past have been markers in American history now are simply dates on a calendar or some kind of celebration that older people go through. Someone was saying this week, um, the world we live in today has changed so much that the people born into the change don't even know it. You see, after 9-11, it was very hard for many of us who were there. You know, many of us were were aware of what happened and we just saw it on the news and our worlds stopped. The world we knew dis disappeared and, and we had a very different world to contend with. One person was saying, I had to ask myself these questions. After 9-11, who am I? Who am I as an American? Who am I as a person? What does it mean to be in this world today? Another question they were asking is, am I safe? Is there any such thing as security anymore? When I was a kid, you could sleep in the living room, open the front door, lock the screen door so the raccoons wouldn't get in, and you could sleep peacefully. Why? I knew every neighbor in my neighborhood, and everyone knew me. Everyone knew my parents. If, if I went outside and got in trouble, guys, I could be three streets over out of my mom's line of sight, and before I got home, someone had called her and told her what I did. Because that's the kind of community we lived in. Everybody watched out for everybody. But you watch the news today, nobody watches out for anybody, except those brave souls that pulled that older couple out of their burning car. That impressed me. To risk your life for people that you don't know simply because there's this impetus to do what's right. That's amazing and rare. The question that really came down this week that someone asked is this, how can I be sure of anything? How can I be sure of anything anymore? What do I know that's actually true? What do I know that will actually endure? Here's what you can know that will endure. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we are family. You understand how important that is? There's a lot of people today that don't know what the word family means. There's a lot of broken families, a lot of families that have been injured or splintered or torn apart by different things. There's a lot of people who were on the news yesterday saying, I had a family before 9-11, but now I don't because this person and this person and this person are gone. What a weird thing that some act, some stroke. This morning there was an accident. A truck driver hit by a wrong way driver. Both of them killed. Until this morning at 5 something a.m., they were alive. They were well. They had families. They had places to go and things to do. And after that accident, two people no longer had anything to do. And two families were shattered. It's an amazing thought how fragile our lives are. 
As Christians, we enjoy a privilege that nobody else has. You know what that privilege is? You are a member of the family of God. So there are three privileges, three privileges that I want you to see in Galatians chapter 4. We are in Galatians chapter 4. We are continuing our march through the book of Galatians. We are talking about a time and a place where many people were in the middle of an upheaval. This was a Gentile city. This was a city that was not traditionally Jewish. They were immersed in a culture that had many gods, many different ways of life, many different acceptable practices, and people had to kind of fight to figure out who they were and what they believed. Now, here's the thing. There are three privileges that are rooted in the Christian identity that nobody else can lay claim to. Here it is. First thing I want you to see, Galatians 4, 1. You are the children of Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenant name that God gave himself on Mount Sinai. It is the name by which the Jews called their God. When they went into Jericho, Rahab the prostitute said, Swear to me by Yahweh that you will not kill me or my family. Even she, a Canaanite, a prostitute, even she knew that the name of God was binding on all who call upon him. When you call upon Yahweh, there's a decided identity that goes with that. A Jewish man every morning would wake up. He would say, O Lord my God, I am glad that I was not born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Now why would you say something like that? You can't even utter those words in 2021. But what did he mean? He meant that as a Jewish man, he had a privilege of being in relationship with Yahweh. You see, a Gentile had no relationship with God. He had only the false gods of his nations, the false things that he leaned on. There's a lot of people today that have false gods. Health, strength, mobility, fitness. There's lots of gods that we have. Financial security, investments, things that can come and go. But for the Jewish man of that time, to be a man in relationship with God was everything. A slave had no freedom. A slave may look the same as you. A slave may be from the same area as you. But because of financial insecurity, he is captive to somebody else's will. And a woman, of course, in that first century had no freedom. She belonged to her father until she was married. Then she belonged to her husband. She was treated like property. We know, of course, now that those things are all wrong. They're all messed up. But this pronouncement shows us the privileges are important. Galatians 4.1. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. So when you are born into a family, you have an inheritance already set aside for you. But until you are an adult, remember adulthood for a man was 13. At 13, he was considered an independent man. He could have a job. He could have a wife. He could have his own home. At 13, because he was raised to know that that was the pivotal point. That's where you became an inheritor of everything that was your father's. It says he differs in no way as a child because he had no freedom to take and use those things. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. The father would decide when you inherited your fortune. 
Every child in here knows that one day you will inherit what belongs to your parents. You will inherit a house, a car, a truck, land, money. You will inherit whatever your parents had because it will come to you naturally because you are their children, right? And I told you before, an adopted child was especially, especially powerful. A natural born son, you could reject because he embarrassed you or he stole from you or whatever. An adopted child could never be rejected. You understand that? An adopted child was a child forever and could never be turned away. That's why when God says we enjoy the adoption as sons, it's very important to us. In the same way, we know also that when we were children, we were in slavery under the elements of this world. The elements of this world is the common reasoning that people have. If you're a good person, Bo, then you will be accepted by God. Or, Hunter, if you work hard, you will succeed. You will become everything you need. Josh, your future is as bright as you want it to be, right? So here we go. All right. That's the elemental thinking of the world. It's based on what we see, cause and effect. But there are principles that go beyond that, and they're right here. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now think about this. When the time came, I was telling my wife and daughter this morning, do you realize the first century was unique. The entire world that they knew of spoke Greek. The Greeks had civilized the whole world and taught them their language. There was one language. Everybody could speak it everywhere in, in the Roman Empire. The Romans had established the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Roman centurions and guards and legions covered the world from the walls of Hadrian where Britain was all the way to India where they got driven up by the dragons. Okay, that peace of Rome, those legions provided you access to the world. You could be a poor man living in Israel, yet you could travel all the way up to Hadrian's Wall in the north, all the way to India in the east. Why? Because the Romans built roads everywhere. Jesus came into the perfect world for the gospel to spread. Before that, there were too many languages. There were too many different customs. But now there was one language, Greek, to take you throughout the world. Do you ever wonder why the Greek New Testament is the Greek New Testament? Because it was the language that everybody understood. And the Romans built the roads that carried the gospel all the way to India. In fact, it was in India that the Apostle Thomas was martyred. He was sacrificed there because the people didn't want to receive the message of this Jesus that he brought. But he was only able to get there because the Romans made it possible. Think about that. The Romans made the spread of the gospel possible. All the way from Britannia, all the way over to India. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba is the word used by a baby for daddy. Daddy. It's a, a term of endearment, a term of closeness. A stranger would never call you daddy. If my daughter's friends come over, it's, hello, Mr. Stidham. Hello, Pastor Stidham. How are you doing? Nobody calls me daddy except her. Why? That is my child. That is my daughter. She has a privilege nobody else has. Isn't that amazing? As 
believers in Christ, we have a privilege the whole world doesn't have until they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about that. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then God made you an heir of all things. That's amazing to me. The word adoption is special. It means the placing of a son. You, see, you can have a child naturally. You know, Hap and Helen had a wonderful son named Gary, and he's naturally their son. But when you choose to make someone your son, you are making a choice that is not incumbent upon you. When you have a child, that's your child. When you choose to make someone your child, as God chose to invite us to be his children, that's a privilege, that's a special honor that you have to live up to. When someone brings you into the family, makes you family, you want to do things for them because they have given you that privilege. Consider this, Romans 8, 14 through 16. We're going to visit this a couple times today. Romans 8, 14 through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, by the way, are sons of God. You can also insert the word daughter. It's universal. So whoever is called by the Spirit of God, whoever is the possessor of the Holy Spirit, that is a son or daughter of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. When the Holy Spirit comes, he puts a seal on you. The seal says, Yahweh's child. It shows you are his. Believe me, we can't see on each other that seal of the Holy Spirit, but believe me, Satan can see it. Every demon in hell can see that seal on your head. And it says, don't touch this child. This is my child. See, that's how it is anywhere. I was a teacher in the Cole School. Everyone knew that's my child. And everyone knew you mess with my child, you get the father. Of course, mom also worked in the school. So you got mother and father. And that's a plague nobody wanted to play with. You know, and that's the truth. It says this. He says, okay, so we have, the we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness. There's that seal, that visible seal that says you belong to God. He bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. If you are a believer, you know it. If you don't know it, you better ask why. People go to church and they think they're Christians. Nope. People belong to a church or they're on a church roll. Does that make you a Christian? No. What makes you a Christian? What makes you a Christian is you ask Jesus to save you. Until I asked my wife to marry me, she was not my wife. Until we walked down that aisle and they said, will you be eternally bound to this woman to give her everything she wants, to meet all of her needs in every circumstance? And then you go, yeah, sure. Then she's your wife. When you put that ring on your finger, baby, then she's your wife. Until then, no. Until then, you don't have that relationship. Same thing with God. You can know about God. You can be in God's house and not be his child until you ask him to make you his child. Amen? That's what it means to be the children of Yahweh. That's the first privilege. You are his child, and he, he will never deny you. He will never turn you away. Second thing is this, you need to accept the truth of what it means to be that child. 
Okay, Galatians 4, 8. But in the past, since you didn't know who God was, you were enslaved to the things that by nature are not God's. Rules, regulations, cultural expectations. Those are types of false gods. False things that we worship that we think are good for us, we think will make us okay. But now since you know God, or rather you have become known by God, how can you turn back again to that weak and worthless element? How can you go back to slavery after you've been free? After you are a child, how can you desire to be alone in the world again? Working by your own elements. Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. Remember, Paul spent those years working, teaching them the truth, showing them what it meant to be a Christian, and now they're living like the pagans all over again. They're trying to go on their own work, and it was breaking Paul's heart. Paul was dying inside. What have I, have I wasted my time with you? Have I given all of this for nothing? He says this, I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am. Now stop right there. That's not Paul being arrogant. Paul's not saying, hey, I'm perfect. Hey, I'm wonderful. Be just like me. That's not what he's saying. What does it mean to be like Paul? It means to be a believer in Jesus. To be a believer in Jesus. For I have also become as you are. You are not wronged by me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. This is one of the few places you will find out that Paul had problems. Paul was not healthy. Most people equate this with a problem that he had with his eyes. He says this right here. For I testified to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So then have I become an enemy because I told you the truth. Now think about this. Paul says later, I write these words to you with my own hand. See how big the letters are. Paul was losing his sight. That's why he has an amanuensis. An amanuensis is a secretary. Paul would speak out to the secretary and he would write down those words. In fact, Paul even names him later, gives his name and says, oh, my secretary says, hey, how y'all doing? He actually mentions him by name because his vision was so bad. Some people have thought maybe his eyesight was damaged when he was blinded on the road to, on the, on the road to Damascus. But I don't, I don't know. It doesn't say that anywhere in the scripture. So we're going to leave that idea alone. But somehow he was losing his sight. He says, I said, oh, my, my physical problems were a trial for you. You had to give me someone to guide me. You had to give me someone to help me. You had to give me someone to write for me. So I was a trial for you, but you did not reject me. So I beg you, brothers and sisters, back in 12, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. Not You have not wronged me. You have known that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial to you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God. Remember the word angel, angelos, is messenger, as a messenger from God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing? Where's this blessing of all the things you did? 
For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So then have I become your enemy because I told you the truth. What's Paul talking about? How has he become an enemy for telling them the truth? Consider Kings 18, 17 and 18. Everyone would have known this story. Every, every Jew would have known this story. But listen to it. Kings 18, 17 through 18. Then Ahab saw Elijah. Ahab said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? You person who causes trouble? You someone who stirs up discontent? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of Yahweh and followed the Baals. The word Baal means master or, or leader. In fact, a, a Jewish woman would refer to her husband as Baal, Lord, my Lord. You see this so many times in the Old Testament. The woman referred to him as Lord. It just means a leader or someone who's in charge. But he says, you are following these false gods when you knew better. Ahab was terrible. He married Jezebel. Jezebel was a Canaanite priestess. She led all of Israel into idolatry. And he didn't stop her. So for him to accuse Elijah of being a troubler of the people when he himself was destroying them is hysterically funny. It's terrible. But there we go. If you look at this, he is saying the truth. Accept the truth. I taught you everything you need to know, and now you're following all these wild stories. You're following everything that shows up. Look at today. Christians who say, oh, I believe in Jesus, are buying into every little story they see. They're believing in aliens and UFOs. They're believing in healing rocks and healing oil. And they're believing in all this nonsense when their faith belongs in Jesus Christ and not all this other junk. I'm sorry. Is Jesus not enough? That's what Paul's saying. Is it Christ, his sacrifice, enough? You've got to cling to all this other garbage so that you feel like you deserve God's love. None of us deserve God's love. That's the point. So you are children of Yahweh, and now you need to accept the truth of what that means. Jesus is enough. It's the church down the road with a great big trumpeting angel on the top of it. And they believed that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was good enough for most things. But, you know, they believe that there are some sins, some, some things that are so terrible that only your own death can atone for that sin. Can you imagine believing and preaching Jesus Christ, but saying the blood of Jesus wasn't enough for everything? That Jesus could get you nine-tenths of the way to heaven, but you had to earn the last tenth. Can you imagine anything so ludicrous? That's what Paul was dealing with. That's what we deal with today. The last thing I want you to see is this. You need to enjoy the freedom that comes from Abraham's covenant. Abraham's covenant. There are two covenants. You know that, right? There's two, two covenants. Not two testaments, there's a New Testament and an Old Testament, but there's actually two covenants in the Old Testament. Here it comes, Galatians 4.21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? Don't you hear what it says? For it is written, Abram had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh. What does that mean? It's kind of a confusing statement. One child was born because Abram 
wanted a child. I'm sorry, Abraham by this time. Abraham wanted a son. God promised him a son, but he had to wait for it. He got tired of waiting for it, and he chose a mistress, a second wife, stupider thing in the world I can't imagine. Any married man knows it takes your entire life to please one woman. Can I get an amen? To bring a second woman into that is insanity. In fact, in the Chinese calligraphy system, if you have a roof of a house and you have three women under it, it's the word for disaster, misery, and pain. Seriously, that's the truth right there. Anytime you have more than one woman under a, house, under a household roof, no, it ain't going to work. But he did it anyways. He wanted a son so badly, he didn't wait on God. He jumped the ship. He jumped uh, ahead of it. While the one was born of a free woman, was born of promise. God promised Sarah she would have a son. Abraham didn't want to wait, so he got a son his way. His name is Ishmael. Ishmael, of course, is the father of the Arab nations. Ishmael is the father of the Arab nations. He had 12 sons. Isaac had 12 sons. There we go. Think about it. That's why you have so much trouble today. You got feuding brothers all fighting over the same land. That's all that's going on today. It's been going on for all these years. It says this. These things have been taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. Okay. Sarah and Hagar represent two types of covenants, two relationships with God. One, Hagar, is man doing things man's way. Man trying to get what he wants by doing what seems appropriate to all the other men in the world. Sarah represents faith. God said, I'm going to give you descendants that will outnumber the stars of the sky, but you're going to have to wait for it. How old was Sarah when Isaac was born? 90. She was 90 years old. It was just insane to believe that God would wait to 90 to allow her to conceive to have that child of promise. But if he had waited, if he had been patient, he would have had his child of promise. Okay, so these things have been taken figuratively for the woman represents two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the, pre and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Slavery how? She is in slavery to the law, the law of Mount Sinai. The law of Mount Sinai was you have to keep the Ten Commandments. You have to keep the Ten Commandments, right? So, as a result, everyone who tries to do it legalistically, who tries to prove that they can do it, who tries to keep the law, are always going to be in slavery to the law because you're always afraid that you're going to break one of the laws, right? I mean, anybody who has a very fast car, not naming any names, but, you know, you have to be afraid of the popo. Because they're out there waiting for the fast cars to make that run down the road. I'm just saying. Here's the thing. When you have freedom, like a car that can't go more than 60, yeah, then you have freedom because you can't possibly break the law. And when you belong to Jesus Christ, even though the law is broken, there is forgiveness and there's grace and there's mercy. Let's keep going. 
for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, You who are not in labor for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. So those who are born into this slavery to the law, this bondage to the law, they will be many. But those who wait for the promise, those who are of Abraham and Sarah, there are fewer, but they have total freedom. Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. Remember, the promise that God made first to Abraham was the promise that he would always be with him, he would take care of him and his descendants. That was the promise. The promise doesn't pass away. We said last week, just because the law is there doesn't supersede the promise to Abram. Abraham received that promise and it held up through the law into everything that came after. It says, but just as then the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, so also it is now. Ishmael always persecuted Isaac because he was jealous. Under the law of the land, Ishmael was the firstborn son. He should have had everything. But what happens? God doesn't respect the law of the land. He respects his promise. And he promised to give everything to the child of promise. See, you can keep the law. You can be perfect. You can look like you've done everything right. But if you don't have Christ, you don't have the promise. You don't receive the spirit. You don't receive the adoption of sons. That's what that's all about. That's why living by the law never works. Trying to keep the letter of law never works because nobody can do it. We saw that last week. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. This has everything to do with God's promise to people who believe and nothing to do with actual physical slavery. It has nothing to do with slavery. It has nothing to do with that practice of the days. Paul is trying to show them, if you believe in Christ, you have nothing in common with those who are trying to be righteous on their own authority, on their own power, on their own ability. We can show this to people who are trying to earn God's grace, who are trying to earn God's love, trying to earn everything that God gives freely to those who believe. And imagine what people's lives would look like if they no longer trusted in themselves, what they possess, what they own, but they trusted only in what God can give them. Therefore, brothers and sisters, verse 31, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Think about that. Why does it say of this slave? It says, rejoice, O childless woman. By the way, that, that verse right there comes from Isaiah 51. The, the whole passage right there is lifted from Isaiah 51. In Isaiah 51, it talks about the restoration of the people. The people were, were in bondage. They were away from Israel. They were in bondage. And now they are going to come back. And the children born after that are going to know what freedom is. The children born before captivity, all they knew was the reckless behavior that got Israel in trouble. They knew how to live by their own wits, how to live their own way, do what they want to do. Children born afterwards realize there's a price to pay for living any way you want to live. 
and that price is very, very expensive. But in uh, the King James, it actually says, not childless woman, but barren one. Oh, barren one. What's so important about that difference? The word barren means you have nothing. In our modern society, many people cannot have children. Many people cannot have their own children, and we don't see that as a problem or a curse or a judgment. But the word barren means to be literally devoid of anything. The person without Christ has nothing. The person without a relationship to Yahweh has nothing, has nothing to go to. Who are you going to go to if you reject the God of the universe? Think about this. People who are atheists pray. Who do they pray to? This new, this new chaplain at Harvard University, an atheist, believes we can live our lives without God. When he's asked to give the prayer at the opening of the meeting, who does he pray to? We have chaplains in the U.S. military. They offer prayers for our troops, but they're atheists. Who do they pray to? I love how some people pray. Hey, big guy, down here. We don't talk much, but I need help. Is God going to hear that? Is there any respect in there? Is there any love in there? Is there any dependence? Or are you just pulling the handle on the cosmic slot machine, hoping that God says, oh, you know, that was a nice one. I'm going to honor that. God doesn't do that. Any father will tell you, we listen to our children. Why? Because our lives, our hearts, our feelings are bound up in our children. That's how God meant it to be. That's not always how it is. Parents are human. Parents make mistakes. We all know that. If you look at my family, you'll definitely know that. That moms and dads are not always there when they need to be. If you look at my family, they're seldom there when they need to be. I've got relatives that get pregnant at 13 and their kids get pregnant at 13. By 36, they're great-grandmothers and they don't even know their kids or which father they're talking about. It's messed up. And sometimes you find the heart of that type of parent is very cold because they don't want to put anything into that person. But God puts everything into us. He pours everything into every person who calls on him and will never, ever abandon them. So I want you to look at this today. You know that you are children of Yahweh if you believe in Jesus Christ. But you must accept the truth of that. If you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in Yahweh, everything else gets thrown out the door. My works, my actions, my pride, my self-dependence has to go because it's not real. You can't depend on God and you. One of you is going to be wrong, and I guarantee it ain't God. Can I get an amen on that one? So here's the thing. If you can accept that truth, then you have a freedom as Abraham's descendant. You have a freedom to live and to walk and to look to God at any time, to ask God for anything, any wisdom. The Bible says if, if you don't know what to do, ask God. He gives abundantly to his children. You ask God, God, I don't know how to do this. Ask him and he will show you. But you have to be willing to accept the answer. And that's the key.